Servus and greetings from Vienna. My name is Anita Posch. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin und Co., my podcast that's introducing the philosophy, ideas and people behind Bitcoin. Before we start, a message from my sponsors. The Card Wallet is the ideal solution to store your Bitcoin keys in the medium and long run. No software updates needed, it's 100% offline, it leaves no traces on the blockchain if you give it away as a gift or inheritance. With the card wallet, you'll get one Bitcoin address, you can send Bitcoin to it whenever you wish, and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. That's it. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House, who is also the producer of Austria's passports, and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker. Order your card wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash Anita and get 20% off. Okay, hello people. It's a new episode of the Bitcoin and Co. podcast and today's guest is Phil Detwiller from the Swiss Seba Bank. Hello, welcome. Thanks for your time. Good afternoon, Anita, and thanks a lot for having me. Um, I'm very curious about you because I've seen you're fluent in four languages and speak three others. <laughs> um, why is that? I mean, um, why do you speak so many languages? Well, there's is certainly not a requirement in my uh, current job. As we all know, English is uh, the language in the banking world. But I do have a uh, big interest in languages because communication is important to me. I learn languages in school, but I also learned languages um, outside of school just because of interest. Okay, so you didn't work in other countries and had to learn it. Uh, you just out of interest learned it. Um, it was out of interest, but I uh, needed it also um, overseas. I was uh, for a short period also living in Ecuador, where firstly I uh, learned Spanish. And then I went back a year later where I was working as a teacher. I was teaching English, French and German. Oh, that's interesting. So you're a banker now? But you haven't been a banker all your life. <laughs> Not uh, really. I mean, this was um, basically just a short stint out of the um, banking world. It was during a semester break during uh, university. I would have had a um, opportunity to go to New York to work in uh, one of the big banks. But I gladly declined because I was sure I could certainly work the rest of my life in climatized bureaus afterwards. <laughs> uh, and when was that? That was 2002. Okay, so you would have uh, seen the big uh, banking crisis in the States. I would have seen it there, but um, I have actually seen it in Singapore because after my studies, soon after, I uh, relocated to Singapore, where I spent almost five years. Oh, very interesting. So you're very well connected also in the banking world, and I guess you know a lot about the banking. <laughs> I uh, finished my studies uh, 2003, and uh, the following 15 plus years, I was uh, working in big global banks, 
covering different positions. And during that period, I'm very happy that I could cover basically the entire front to back value chain of a bank. So I do have certain insight into the banking yeah, sure, world. Sure. But what has brought you to Bitcoin then? Fundamentally, I am a risk taker, I would say. In my spare time, I love to mountain bike. Um, my biggest passion, though, is uh, kite surfing. And the volatility of uh, cryptocurrencies was always alluring me. So that was certainly something I was interested in. So I had a little bit an eye on that. Starting 2016, I got more and more acquainted with the technology and the vast potential that uh, those uh, technologies, particularly DLT, um, can offer and um, started uh, reading more and more about that technology. Working in big banks, uh, which are not always very flexible, I started becoming a little bit more frustrated and that I could not participate in those interesting technologies. That's why I decided to join SEBA and uh, support them in their journey um, to get a fully-fledged banking and securities trading license um, 2019. Mm -hmm. So have you been there from the start? So were you also working for SEBA in the founding time? SEBA was founded in April 2018 and I joined in March 2019. The banking license was granted end of August, so for a bigger part and in the very crucial um, time of this process, I was part of that family, yes. Mm -hmm. So that's how you got into like let's say crypto banking in a way what are the properties of let's talk again about bitcoin the first cryptocurrency of the world what are you most interested in uh, personally i would say this is twofold first of all um, it is for me a very interesting uh, investment opportunity from a diversification perspective because if you're adding one percent of bitcoin to uh, a portfolio your expected return goes up one percent at the same level of risk i.e you're improving your sharper ratio so from an investment perspective um, bitcoin is very interesting but there is also the other um, part um, where my uh, probably a little bit Bitcoin maximalist heart um, uh, beats is the possibility um, of independent banking. Now, this might sound a little bit strange if you hear that from a banker and uh, from a person living in Switzerland. We might not really have a uh, firm issue in Switzerland. Our government um, is sound. We have stable um, uh, politics. Uh, political uh, system, there is not really an issue in, in the Western world. But if you look into other countries like Venezuela um, and others, I do see a big value in Bitcoin that can be uh, fully uh, decentralized, be handled fully decentralized and giving people certain uh, liberty and detaching them a little bit from rogue governments. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's always said you don't need a bank for to use Bitcoin. So why then 
Seba, why do you build a crypto bank? <laughs> you can believe me that this is not the first time I hear that question. And uh, it is really a valid one. And needless to say, a pure Bitcoin maximalist will probably never enter a bank. But if we're looking at the blockchain trilemma of uh, decentralization, scalability, and security, you need to make uh, sure that you understand where is your sweet spot. And I do believe that um, reducing decentralization a little bit for increasing security is well worth it, particularly when it comes along also with convenience. So yes, if you go to a bank, it is a certain uh, reversion of uh, the um, decentralization. So to say back to centralization, this is one point of criticism. The other is the lack of privacy, that with a bank, you submit yourself to a fully fledged KYC. So this is the drawback. And each person needs to ask uh, itself, are these drawbacks being outweighed by what a bank can offer? And the bank can offer convenience and competence in different areas. It's, for example, in regulation. You want to have regulation um, uh, be in check versus ambitious, uh, ambitious international regulation. You want to have fully-fledged security versus security gaps, vulnerabilities, uh, missing legal protection as well, whereas a bank um, is certainly always on top of technological um, uh, amendments. You want to have a professional custody um, storage solution. You want to have additional services that as a single individual without a bank you might not um, have. For example, intergenerational transfers, which is a big issue. If you die uh, tomorrow, your relatives don't know where are your private keys, your funds are being uh, lost. So ultimately, it's the convenience that you can have the traditional um, banking with the new one combined out of one hand. Mm. And are you serving mostly in institutional clients or also single people persons? I mean, oh, what, what is, what's the net worth somebody has to have to be a client of your bank? Seba is basically open to all clients, but retail clients. So um, our sweet spot is uh, not retail clients, but um, uh, also private individuals in the ultra high net worth um, area. That does not really mean that you need to bring a lot of money, but it means that you need to be um, a professional investor. I, you need to have 500,000 euro um, and good understanding um, of financial products, or you need to have 2 million uh, uh, investable assets. That doesn't mean, though, you need to bring all to us. Okay, no, I, I won't bring any because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not near that. Very, no, very far apart. So, no, but um, you're uh, the, the head of custody storage. I would be interested in how far you can tell me how does a bank handle crypto custody? Because I know from my personal experience how I handle it, you know, um, storing my private keys and, you know, I mean, in this rather big amounts of money. I mean, um, 
do you have a mine where you have your crypto keys stored? I mean, you won't tell me now what you're doing, of course, but like in a way, just describe how a bank handles that. Sure, certainly. I would like to reference back to what I said earlier, that it's basically everything about competence and convenience. And if we make one step back, what is custody storage? It is basically the handling of private keys. And this is exactly what we're doing. Now, how you want to handle your private keys, there are different possibilities how you can do that. You can do that on balance sheet, off balance sheet. You can do it online and offline. There are various degrees of physical elements you can add to the security. Eventually, everything is a trade-off between latency and security. So at SEBA, we basically have various solutions to cater to all the different needs of a, a client. So I could go there and ask you, or, or you tell me how you want to handle the storage and I can tell you, okay, that's my preference or not. Or is this, so it's a very individual thing. Exactly. We basically have four different uh, storage solutions. Uh, one we uh, call cryptocurrency account. This is interesting for trading active clients. We have a hot custody storage solution, the classical one that is online. We do have a cold solution. Um, this is offline. And we do have a so-called deep cold solution, which has um, extra physical elements to make it ultra secure. That would be the solution for institutional investors. Mm -hmm. And are you open to clients worldwide or just in Switzerland because of your regulations? We are open in Switzerland and additionally nine different jurisdictions, basically around the globe. Going back to the traditional banking, what do you think about banking in the future? What will be the biggest changes? What do you think? <laughs> I'm not sure if your question might also be, are crypto banks taking over? If this would be the case, I would decline that. And I don't believe so, because I think it is important that we do have crypto banks. I think it's important that we make use of DLT, of the possibilities of that techno technology. And I'm also absolutely convinced that the fourth revolution, industrial revolution, which is a digital revolution, will speed up those developments. But we also need to be aware that the technology per se of a decentralized approach is not always the right approach um, from an efficiency perspective. Centralized systems, uh, when you look, for example, at credit cards like Visa and uh, MasterCard transaction, from an efficiency uh, perspective, they are second to none. Just a short sidestep. I mean, talking about banks, it just came to my mind. I mean, there's uh, China, for instance, uh, or Sweden, I think, who all want to build, and also the US now, want to build their own uh, central bank digital money. Do you think that then when like nation states and their central banks give out money, will there be need for traditional banks then? I do believe so, yes. Because a central bank will never be able to offer all the remaining services that traditional banks and incumbent banks are offering. 
But it is a very interesting topic with uh, central bank stable coins um, or um, uh, monies. I have a little bit two opinions about this uh, um, uh, this uh, movement. First of all, I do believe it is something that is important for the efficiency of the entire crypto ecosystem. Stable coins can improve the efficiency of um, the system. Particularly these days, everyone is talking about tokenization, asset tokens. But I do believe this ecosystem only becomes really efficient when we can go into um, token for token exchanges. And for that, a um, central bank um, token or um, central bank digital money could be very good approach and very efficient. On the other side, I see the danger um, when we have a fairly centralistic government like in China that the DLT technology with the uh, vast transparency can be misused to monitor its people. Did I get that right? You think that the more tokenization we have, the more stable coins we have, the volatility in cryptocurrencies will be lower? Not necessarily, um, uh, no, um, I don't think so, because volatility, in my opinion, um, is uh, having two root causes. First of all, it is a question about liquidity. The more liquid um, a market is, the less volatility you can expect, because um, the markets are just uh, more profound. Now, um, the price is always a question for um, of uh, supply and demand, and this is why um, this is this is the important thing about uh, volatility. Stable coins are not necessarily uh, required for for that purpose, but it can be very interesting from a settlement perspective that we can make the current system uh, even more efficient when we can have a token-token settlement. Do you think is Libra a danger for banks? I do think Libra is an interesting project. Uh, it's offered a lot of uh, criticism, um, but I think the project was very good for the entire um, ecosystem because it was a severe wake-up call around uh, the world. Now, if you're pro or against Libra, that depends a little bit um, on, uh, on, 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 on your view. Um, if you're rather um, a purist, uh, if you're arguing uh, you want to bank the underbanked, if uh, the biggest concern is basically that it is at least initially a permissioned um, chain, that is the, the, the biggest criticism. Now, why um, was it such a big wake-up call um, the project Libra. It is because fundamentally a government has two possibility to uh, influence its economy. It can have um, a tax um, tax approach via taxation. You can influence the economy, and you can um, also um, um, influence it via a monetary um, policy. Now, with Libra, various central banks and governments feared that the instrument of a monetary policy 
is kind of taken out of their hands. That is why everyone was um, uh, so nervous about Libra. From my perspective, one reason to criticize Libra is the privacy aspect, because then, I mean, Facebook and its consortium knows everything you do. What's your take on that, on privacy? Because as a banker, you always, you also, as a bank, you have to follow regulation. Um, what's your perspective on that? I can only say I totally agree. I mean, me personally, I also feel uncomfortable with uh, Facebook. In the old days, I was f uh, forced into Facebook because some friends uh, were organizing a kite trip and they would um, exchange themselves only over Facebook. But I hardly ever post anything there because privacy is very important to me. I found on the Seba website a blog entry uh, where someone of your bank, I believe, uh, stated a comment to uh, a paper of the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision. The critic was that, as I understand it, the regulation idea of these BCBS, the Basel Committee, is too harsh for you as a bank even. Do they hear such kind of criticism? I mean, do they act on it? The Basel Committee on Banking Supervision sent out a, um, um, a discussion paper. I think that was in December 2019 with uh, their suggested approach of uh, regulation in the crypto area. Whereas I totally understand that certain regulation is required, I'm also of the opinion you cannot punish a technology just because of the possibility a technology is offering. So usually a regulator um, takes a stance that is technology neutral. So the underlying business should be regulated in the same way um, regardless of the technology. In the crypto space, I think um, there are times we are a little bit punished for the possibilities, traceability, what we can uh, do with, uh, with the crypto technology. For me personally, in that paper that uh, went out, the biggest criticism for me would be the suggestion that uh, banks need to apply the pillar one approach, which would come along with 1,250% private um, capital underpinning, which is even more than what FINMA is requiring. Uh, FINMA is requiring 800%, what I already uh, think is too high. Okay, that was that about. Okay, thank you. Um, now, coming back to technology and banking, I would believe, or uh, that's my question, is a bank or is a bank like the Sabre Bank, do you have more developers than bankers or how, on which technology do you build? Mm -hmm. I do believe that this is exactly our strength, that we have people out of both worlds and I truly believe Each world needs the other world. So we do have senior bankers from the traditional world. We have cryptographers and developers on the other side. So needless to say that there is little benefit if we would, for example, establish a core banking system on our own. 
That is why we insource that. You need to focus on your key strength, on your unique selling proposition, um, on your DNA, which in our case are digital assets. That is why we established a proprietary crypto layer that is connecting the core banking system with uh, blockchain technology. And we also develop in-house our cold and deep cold uh, wallet solutions. But on top of which cryptocurrencies, which do you use? We are currently offering five cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin, Ether, Ether Classic, Stellar and Litecoin. But we're constantly monitoring the market and uh, we'll certainly also onboard additional coins in due time. Okay, and if I understand that right, you've built a layer where you can exchange all these cryptocurrencies with the traditional banking system or with fiat currency? Our system looks um, like um, that, that we are connected to various exchanges and OTC traders where we are acting as principal and not as agent. When a client wants to trade with us, we can immediately execute with our liquidity at the exchanges and then move the coins to segregated wallets of the client. It's very interesting how this works, because I only know about how an individual handles Bitcoin, but not how a bank does. <laughs> so it's interesting. I do think the uh, interesting part in that space is exactly this overlay from the traditional finance perspective with core banking systems, versus the blockchain, exactly this overlap, how you can handle that, which in fact is a little bit of a challenge. I can imagine that. So how many developers do you have or how many people are working for SEPA? At SEPA, we're currently slightly more than 80 people. And uh, we started the year um, 2019 with probably around 20 people. So a steady and uh, continuing growth and we continue to hire. As a head of custody, you definitely know the answer to the question, the next question. Do you offer insurance like uh, Einlagensicherung? Is this in German with traditional banks? So every bank says my bank account is secure up to, I think, 100k euros. Do you ha offer the same for crypto? We need to distinguish here uh, what is uh, the uh, deposit protection scheme, which is a regulation and has nothing to do with uh, actual free market um, insurance. Um, I looked into that just recently. According to my current understanding, um, cryptocurrencies are not protected by this um, 100,000 Swiss francs. Where on the other side, we do have insurance in place um, from the private market. And how do you or would you deal then with a rising price? You know, I mean, if I uh, give you to uh, money a certain amount of like, let's say 50 Bitcoin and it's insured, but then the price is rising. How is this working? Is the insurance then also rising? You need to look at it from a perspective. How can we store those coins most securely? If you have 50 Bitcoins, I would clearly not keep it uh, in a hot wallet. I would distribute it a little bit, 
maybe port for trading purposes you can have on a cryptocurrency um, account. Um, so you would certainly distribute that over the different wallets so that you um, have a combination of security via different um, security solutions, but also covered um, from a uh, insurance uh, perspective. Now, um, insurances come along with uh, different possibilities from a coverage perspective, and uh, this is always a question of price versus uh, versus coverage. Maybe in addition to the insurance market, I do think this is also interesting that custodians and banks as ourselves, uh, we see potential for a cooperation among the different um, providers because I sense that currently it's an insurance market and uh, not an um, uh, insured um, customer market, i.e. the prices in this market are being dictated by the insurance companies. Do you think that this whole system of insurance companies, banking, etc., will need to change in the next years? Because of these new digital assets coming in, tokenization of like uh, houses, etc.? I don't think there will be a very fundamental change. Why is that? I believe in free markets and I believe if someone is willed to insure a risk, whatever risk that is, there will be a market and there will be an insurance. And the price is basically being dictated by um, the risk that is being insured. And needless to say, an insurance, particularly when you don't uh, need it, is always expensive. Now, alluding to the uh, vast interest of tokenization and asset tokens in the market, I don't believe that this will spike, for, uh, spike the uh, insurance market. Why is that? With asset tokens, you usually attach a smart contract which has possibilities to burn and mint tokens. That also means that if an asset token with such a smart contract is being stolen, you can remotely burn such tokens that in uh, the other way around means that you don't need to store those tokens as securely as tokens that have a finality such as Bitcoin. I guess you know a lot of other bankers and people from insurance companies and so on. Do they grasp what is coming? Do they have an understanding about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and digital assets? I observe a lot of uh, worries in the market, or let's put it that way, that people feel slightly uneasy from the overall fourth, uh, fourth industrial revolution, which is a digital revolution. Everyone senses that something is coming It is not yet entirely clear how the future will look like, but everyone agrees the future will be different. And I'm an optimist. I think the future will be great, um, though different. So yeah, Phil, uh, thank you. We're coming to an end now. Thank you very much. And as always, I ask my guests for recommendations about um, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, digital assets, or maybe you also have some interesting reading tips about economics or banking. 
Sure. I mean, uh, there are a couple I could uh, recommend. And uh, as I'm also listening to your um, podcast, this has been uh, recommended various times. A easy read would uh, certainly be uh, the Bitcoin standard to, to start with, to get a little bit uh, the gist. Um, then certainly uh, Mastering Bitcoin is an evergreen. I really enjoyed reading that one. That's why as next one I would like to read also Mastering Ethereum. Then uh, more on the economic side, I think uh, an interesting book is uh, The Marginal Cost Society. Or you could um, have a read in Average is Over. How oh, interesting. I will uh, research the authors and put all of the recommendations in the show notes. And I really love the fact that Banker is reading Mastering Bitcoin <laughs> and the Bitcoin standard. <laughs> I think it's great because I think we all should like think in different directions and not only in your own, you know, uh, small part of the world, like in your head. So, Phil... Thank you very much. Where can people reach you? You can always um, uh, find me on uh, LinkedIn or if you have any questions, just send me an email, phil.detweiler at seba.swiss. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Phil. Most welcome. Thank you, Anita. Bye. If you like my show, please subscribe to it in your podcast player and share the episode on social media. You can find all links that were mentioned in the show notes on the website or in your podcast player. You can contact me also on Twitter, LinkedIn or YouTube. Goodbye from Vienna of Wiederhören. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Idea, content and production, yours truly, Anita Posch. <laughs>